You are listening to episode number 15 of The Green Elephant in the Room. Welcome to The Green Elephant in the Room, conversations about the climate and environment. Now here's your host, Rico. Extinction. The dictionary definition of extinction is a situation in which something no longer exists. As a teenager, my first introduction to the ecological movement, as we called it then, was learning about the concept of extinction. When I first heard about it, I was shocked. I reasoned, you mean animals and plants are disappearing from the face of the earth because of our thoughtless actions? Being young and impressionable, I thought, this is unfair, unjust, and horribly wrong. Not surprising, some 50 plus years later, I still feel that way. The most excessive action that we humans could engage in is the willful elimination of other creatures' existence. Extinction events are not especially rare in geological time. They have occurred randomly with varying magnitude throughout the history of life. Those that are truly apocalyptic, however, have occurred only at about 100 million year intervals. There have been five such peaks of destruction. They are ominously known as the Big Five. The five greatest mass extinctions over the past 500 million years, each of which annihilated anywhere from 50 to 95% of all species on the planet. Mass extinctions are when at least half of all species die out in a relatively short time. The main suspects behind these catastrophes seems to either come from above in the form of deadly asteroids or comets, or from below in the form of extraordinarily massive volcanism. The three biggest mass extinctions in the past 300 million years are all associated with giant floods of lava on a continental scale, the sort of eruptions that beggar the imagination. The most recent of the Big Five is the most familiar one, the cataclysm that ended the age of dinosaurs. This was caused when a large asteroid about the size of Mount Everest blasted into the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico 65 million years ago. Dinosaurs were extremely successful and dominated the Earth for almost 200 million years. We think of it as the end of dinosaurs, but they live on in the form of tens of thousands of species of birds. Yes, that's right. Birds are feathered flying dinosaurs that managed to escape the big extinction event 65 million years ago and populate the entire world. They are more widespread than any other kind of creature, including human beings. But the Yucatan event pales in comparison with the mass extinctions that happened 250 million years ago at the end of the Permian period. 
This was caused by the Siberian Traps, a massive supervolcano that created a continental sized tear in the Earth's crust. It spewed as much as 7 million square kilometers of lava out, which would cover an area nearly as large as the lower 48 states. This event eliminated 95% of all life on Earth. Anything bigger than a dog died. In each of these five major extinction events, what killed everything was the enormous infusion of CO2 into the atmosphere. That's right, the climate was radically altered. The similarities between today and the past are uncanny. The majority of past extinctions are associated with carbon dioxide from volcanoes causing rapid global warming. The cause today may be different, but the results will be the same. Today, humans turn out to be every bit as good as volcanoes at putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. The Earth doesn't care if the CO2 comes from volvos or volcanoes. Human-caused extinctions of animals is not unknown in history. Tens of thousands of years ago, the continent of Australia was populated with fantastic megafauna. 1,000-pound kangaroos, 2-ton wombats, 25-foot-long lizards, and Volkswagen-sized tortoises. The first humans arrived in Australia about 50,000 years ago. There is new evidence that more than 85% of Australia's mammals, birds and reptiles weighing over 100 pounds, or 60 kilograms, went extinct within a few thousand years after the first humans arrived. Just a couple hundred years ago in the U.S., there were massive human-caused population declines and extinctions in many native species. The western United States was an American Serengeti with vast herds of upwards of 60 million American bison, as many as 35 million pronghorns, and abundant numbers of other natural wildlife. In the 1870s, there were at least 20 million bison, commonly known as the American buffalo, on the North American plains. Fewer than 20 years later, less than 400 of the wild animals remained. The development of the bison slaughter was encouraged by the U.S. government as a means of starving out Native American populations which relied on the bison for food. A common refrain was, kill every buffalo you can, every buffalo is an Indian gone. The slaughter was amplified by two new technological developments the new, accurate, and lethal sharpshooter rifles, and the Intercontinental Railroad. In fact, hunting of bison became so prevalent that travelers on the trains in the Midwest would shoot bison during long-haul train trips just for sport. They would just leave the carcasses to rot in the sun by the tens of thousands. 
thanks in large part to conservation efforts undertaken by Theodore Roosevelt and by the U.S. government, there are now more than 500,000 bison in America. Pronghorn antelopes was another land animal that numbered in the tens of millions. They are the fastest land mammal in North America, capable of reaching speeds of over 55 miles per hour. A combination of hunting and human settlement in the latter half of the 19th century nearly wiped out the entire species. By 1915, an estimated 13,000 pronghorns remained on the continent. I have some haunting pictures of stacks of buffalo skulls on my webpage. Throughout history, people had no conception that something like extinction could exist. They couldn't even imagine that the Creator would create something that wouldn't be around forever. In China, they started finding the bones of dinosaurs. They recognized them as familiar bone structures, but they were enormous in size. This is where the perception of dragons came from. In the U.S., when people started finding gigantic mastodon bones, they just assumed that those creatures were out there somewhere. In fact, Thomas Jefferson, when he sent Lewis and Clark out to the American Northwest, really hoped that they were going to find live mastodons roaming around out there because he really could not accept the fact that they were gone. America was also the site of the greatest human-induced mass extinction of all time. When Europeans first came to North America, they were overwhelmed by the sheer quantity, not to mention the diversity of birds in North America. So what did they do? They killed them, of course. You may have heard of the National Audubon Society annual bird count. During this popular citizen science event, people from all over the world head outdoors to count birds and the data collected is used by scientists to track the health of bird populations. This event started out as the annual Christmas bird kill. People would go out and kill as many birds as they could. Even John James Audubon himself would shoot birds and then prop them up so he could paint them. It is estimated that there were 3 billion to 5 billion passenger pigeons at the time Europeans discovered America. It is believed that this species once constituted up to 40% of the total bird populations of the United States. To give you an idea about how big that is, I do an activity with my students to have them conceptualize the difference between a million and a billion. I asked them to calculate how much time passes in a million seconds and a billion seconds. I will save you the figuring. A million seconds is almost 12 days. A billion seconds is almost 32 years. That's the difference between a million and a billion. 12 days versus 32 years. And a trillion seconds? 32,000 years. 
Audubon himself in 1833 described a mile-wide flock of migrating pigeons that passed over his head and blocked the sun for three straight days. As extinctions go, the extinction of the passenger pigeon is truly a stupendous human achievement, unparalleled in recorded history. Thanks to our penchant for relentless killing, combined with large-scale habitat destruction, these iconic bird populations crashed from billions to zero in just 50 years. By 1900, none survived in the wild, and on September 1st, 1914, the very last one, named Martha, was found dead on the floor of her cage in the Cincinnati Zoo. The species had gone from extraordinarily populous to extinct in a human lifespan. Americans have been working out their feelings about wild animals since before it was officially America. Every country has wildlife, of course, but it's always been different here somehow. When the nation was founded, it didn't have a Sistine Chapel or any great books or paintings. What it did have, though, was coastlines gushing with oysters and crustaceans, forests crammed with deer and wolves, and out on the frontier were herds of bison, antelope, and elk moving as a single, shifting spectacle. Some of the first European travelers to the continent had literally swept up fish with brooms, and it was said that you could walk across rivers on the backs of spawning salmon. Whales and seals yielded endless shiploads of oil to burn in lamps. It was literally the embodiment of plenty of what we now know as the American dream. As a result, Americans assume the supply of such creatures was virtually infinite, a bounty to be harvested at any time for human use. Local depletions of wildlife were noted, but there was always more wildlife over the next range of hills. It was the view that nature needed to be tamed and put to use that allowed the widespread destruction of wildlife and fit in well with the demands of the new emerging industrial economy. By the 1900s, it was clear that many former abundant wildlife animal populations were collapsing and the first conservation laws were passed. By the 1970s, when the Endangered Species Act made preserving those animals a national priority, our sense of what was at stake enlarged yet again beyond simple patriotism or even science toward a question of morality. As our own species has taken over, we've tried to retain space for at least some of the other creatures being pushed aside shoring up their chances for survival. But the threats against them keep multiplying and escalating. We go through great lengths to keep some semblance of actual wildlife in the world. As a result, our management of wild animals has evolved 
or maybe devolved into a surreal kind of performance art. We train condors not to perch on power lines and feed their hatchlings with condor hand puppets. On the Gulf Coast of Alabama, every summer, volunteers wait up all night for tiny sea turtle hatchlings to climb out of their nest and direct them to the surf because of the disorienting lights of condos and restaurants behind them. On some rivers in the Pacific Northwest, we suck endangered salmon out of the water and truck them around fish-killing dams. In ultralight aircraft with pilots acting as surrogate parents, we guide whooping crane hatchlings on their ancient migration routes. They even made a movie out of this one a few years ago. It's called Fly Away Home. Many scientists now concede that most of America's endangered animals will survive only if conservationists keep rigging the world around them in their favor. Ultimately, biodiversity, endangered species, and extinction are primarily cultural issues. Questions of what we value and what stories we tell ourselves, and only secondarily issues of science. At the same time, the real wild is a shadow of its former self. All this while we are living in the eye of a great storm of extinction on a planet hemorrhaging living things so fast that half of its nine million species could be gone by the end of the century. Tragically, we don't know what we're doing. We're destroying something indescribably beautiful and something the human mind and emotions need. Because we still have a deep love of the natural environment in which we evolved, and that includes the richness of life and the beauty of open, unspoiled areas. That's for most of us. On the other side of the equation, we have some people engaging in staggering cruelty and the continued dreadful destruction of our natural wildlife populations. On any given weekend, some of America's most iconic wild animals are massacred in wildlife killing contests. Coyotes, bobcats, wolves, foxes, rabbits and squirrels are common victims of these contests. Children as young as 10 are encouraged to participate these pageants of cruelty foster ignorance about the crucial role apex predators play in maintaining healthy ecosystems. These contests occur both on public and private lands in most every state except California, where killing for predator prizes has been outlawed. Another destructive practice are rattlesnake roundups. Each year, tens of thousands of rattlesnakes are taken from the wild to be displayed and slaughtered for entertainment and profit. Not only are these activities willfully vicious, but it is also a part of that tick, tick, tick of bringing our ecosystems to the brink of total collapse. I have included information and petitions on my webpage to end this incredibly cruel and devastating practice. Our actions are putting the planet in a position where it is going to be hard to recover. 
Until now, we haven't had the political will to act. But public pressure is high. People are worried and want action. Our current conservation strategies, such as the creation of protected areas, are well-intended but inadequate. Future forecasts indicate negative trends will continue in all scenarios except those that embrace radical change across society, politics, economics, and technology. The health of the ecosystems on which we and other species depend is deteriorating more rapidly than ever. We are eroding the very foundations of economies, livelihoods, food security, health, and quality of life worldwide. Solutions are in reach. The steps we must take are not simple, but they are within our grasp. Why then have we failed to act or to act sweepingly enough? On the next episode of The Green Elephant Extinction Part 2, we will discuss that and solutions we could put into place today to create the transformative change needed to tackle the underlying causes of planetary deterioration and the rapid eradication of life on Earth. Thanks for listening to The Green Elephant. Visit us on our website, bit.ly slash green elephant in the room. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash green elephant in the room, where you will find valuable information and links to everything that was addressed on today's show and more. Tune in, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share us with your friends. The Green Elephant in the Room conversations about the climate and environment. Mm-hmm.